Hi, thank you for joining us for the next episode of Humans of SDU. Today, you will hear me, Mishka, uh, and Anna talking to Anna Clara, a teacher in the Cultural Studies Department. Do you want to meet the Teacher of the Year? Hello, Anna Clara. Welcome to our podcast. Hello, and thank you very much. Uh, we're really happy to have you here, and we can congratulate you straight away, because we know you managed some big success in the last days. Is it so? Yeah, I um, it was just announced last week that I'm going to be teacher of the year at the Faculty of the Humanities this year. So it's a big deal to me. Are you proud of yourself? Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I'm very proud. Mm -hmm. um, it means so much to me because you can get so many acknowledgements in the academic world, but... I think that the most important one is to be acknowledged by the students because it is such a huge part of my work life to do good teaching and to get the students to be as excited and as passionate um, about cultural studies, which is my subject, um, as I am. Mm -hmm. And as I were was taught to be at SDU, so I want them to get the same experience as I got. And if uh, students see me as a good teacher, maybe it's because they got some of the same experiences as I did. So yes, I'm very proud of that. Mm. You said it's, it feels nice to be appreciated by the students themselves. Yeah. So, uh, so is it students who vote for you to get the prize? As far as I know, uh, it's the students who need to nominate. And then it's um, some board members who decide who gets it. But yeah, it all starts with the students. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's also great that they are so involved, that they actually are active in, in putting your name forward. Yeah, that's, I like that's that even too, because <laughs> one thing is to uh, think that you like a teacher or you like teaching, but another thing is to actually put in the effort and time to, uh, to nominate. So I was very, I am very grateful for that. Definitely, because it's important for my career as well, but also personally. Hmm. And what were the criteria? Do you know, like what you like? What makes a good teacher, in your opinion? Um, I think that good teachers come in all shapes and sizes and ages, and yeah. But one of the most important things is that you actually mean it when you stand there, that you. Uh, want to be there as the person you are but also as the academic profile you are to show that you also have um, considerations and uh, that you have some doubts as a person and that you're willing to discuss that with the with the students and um, by that also um, the willingness to listen to the students mm -hmm. to be corrected by the students or asked critical questions and to discuss with them, learn the, them, teach them how to um, put their arguments forward and be heard. Because mm. um, a very important thing in cultural studies is that everybody deserves a voice, but you also need to use it wisely. And I think that that's one of the most important things I can teach students and that's the one of the things I take most seriously myself, that you must never take advantage of any kind of power you could have with your voice. You must always 
take care of the weaker parts mm -hmm. uh, in a society or in a community or what it could yeah. be. Yeah. It's so it, it, so it sounds like you are, you have a much bigger impact in their lives than just one course. So yeah, that's, that's I think great. so. Yeah, and that's also a huge responsibility because when I read the nomination, I was actually at first a bit scared um, because I was afraid that they would say that I would, it was everybody's mother or something very gendered, that I took <laughs> care of them or showed them care or something. And I don't think that's actually um, a big responsibility to do that. I think that students are grown-ups and they should take care of themselves. Of course, I have some... some um, duties in that sense but i was scared that they would just say oh she's so nice uh, and they didn't in the nomination that instead they actually uh, accentuated that i'm rough and oh. <laughs> uh, that i'm very strict with them that i um, expect a lot of things from them and that i do a lot of things i'm very passionate myself but i also expect them to be passionate and they get my respect if they're engaged uh, in in the teaching situation. So I was very happy to read that mm. um, because that's, they called it the essence of Anna Clara. <laughs> and I was very um, happy that they saw that as the essence mm. of me. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that I'm strict. Have yeah. you figured out where is the line? Like where is the line that you, okay, we're friends, we can discuss. But then I'm the teacher and I have to be strict with you. Mm -hmm. It's definitely been something I had to learn uh, in my 10 years as a faculty uh, member at this university. Because at first I was, of course, very young and inexperienced. And the students, because of my age, were not that much younger than me. And their life situations resembled mine quite a lot. Mm -hmm. So that it was difficult to draw the lines. And, um, and now I am very aware of the lines, so I always draw them. Of course, I am always available if students need to talk to me, but I'm also very aware of drawing the line and telling them where to go, where who they should talk to, if it's not my, on my table. And um, I would never uh, take a responsibility for a student that I couldn't um, close, that I couldn't... Uh, follow all the way through then yep. I mm -hmm. would rather help them to get the correct help so and I don't think that there's anything even though I am actually very friendly as a teacher I don't think there's anything in my attitude that could make the students think that I'm their friend mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I'm also very personal and quite professional but it, it took me some time to get there Okay, so yeah, I guess it just has to come from the experience. Exactly. Yeah. It, I think it develops yeah, the, the it, it relationship. Yeah, does, it does, and you need to give it the, the time to develop. But as students from, well, a different country than Denmark, uh, the, the relationship between the, the, the teacher and the student was a bit of a surprise to us. Mm -hmm. uh, even as a, a little thing as calling each other first names. Mm -hmm. So do you think the, the atmosphere in Denmark is actually... Bit too friendly, and mm. some sometime. I don't know if it can be too friendly, but I think that uh, it is. It is on both the teachers and the students' table to know how to draw the lines, to never expect 
uh, anything from teachers for personal reasons. And the teachers should never expect anything from, from the students for personal reasons. We must have focus on the academic level and, uh, and on uh, what we're here for, to teach and to learn. Um, so maybe it can be too friendly if the lines are blurred. Yeah. Um, but I also think that it has huge advantages that people are here as humans on SDU, as you call it, um, <laughs> because it, it gives you space to believe that your own thoughts are worth thinking and that you are worth something, both as a teacher and as a student, whereas, and it's only what I think that maybe in other countries the distance is huge between students mm -hmm. and uh, faculty. Um, and I could just imagine how that could maybe result in uh, lack of confidence and uh, maybe also in lack of engagement because what should I be here for? If, if I'm not seen and if I'm not heard, why should I be here? So I think that it has advantages if you know how to draw the line. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, uh, you said you had 10 years of teaching experience, mm -hmm. but it's not all your experience with SDU. You started no. as a student yourself, is that yeah. right? Yeah. So what is it that, I mean, you're, yeah, that's been like some years you've yeah. been there. Like, what do you that's, like about SDU? That's loyalty. Yeah, that's it a, is. That's, that's a, a very faithful loyalty. relationship. Yeah, where does uh, that come from? <laughs> but a bit random loyalty, actually, because it was never on purpose. I never thought of my life as that it should turn out as, as it has done. I started here in 2003 doing my BA in uh, journalism and uh, I wanted to be a journalist. So when I had finished as uh, a journalist, I started working as a journalist. But, but then I wanted to know more and then I turned back to STU and then I ended up at, in cultural studies and in, um, when was that? 2008 and I never got away because cultural <laughs> studies is just what I want to do for the rest of my life. It's how I see life and it's how I see the meaning of life is through the cultural studies lens. So I can never finish that. And now I know that I, that I have to be here, but I didn't know when I started at all. But it is loyalty, I can see that. <laughs> so what, what drew you to, to cultural studies? What, what's your... What's your what, what is the, your out view, outlook on, on, on the life, as you mentioned? Yeah, it is actually quite funny because I, it, maybe it's easier for me to explain if I say what journalism didn't give me. Because I like to study journalism and I like the idea of, of making a difference and describing the world and stuff like that. But, but I really missed um, the science, first of all. When we say that we want to be objective, for example, what do we mean by objectivity? Is that even possible? Are you talking from my heart? <laughs> <laughs> so I started asking critical questions to journalism as a subject, and maybe that's not the best uh, point of departure if you want to be a journalist. Mm -hmm. um, and then I actually started doing an MA in journalism because I thought that maybe I can ask the questions here about ethics and objectivity, stuff like that. And it wasn't that possible. But then in, at journalism, we had the opportunity to take subjects elsewhere. 
So I left the Faculty of Social Sciences, Sciences to read cultural studies, do cultural studies at the MA program called Culture and Communication. And the first time I set foot there, I knew that this was what I'd been looking for because in cultural studies, you focus on people's everyday life. What do they think? What do they feel? How do they express that from the moment they get up in the morning to, to they go to bed, from the time they're born to the time they die? How do we make culture? Um, and uh, how do we make sense of the life we live in effectively, discursively, everything? That was what I'd been looking for. So even though it was just a part of my MA, I never got back. I switched and uh, finished my MA at uh, in cultural studies, and then I got my PhD, and then I never missed journalism again. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your focus now? Yeah, it's... I'm... Um, I'm a part, yeah, it's weird. I'm a part of the Hans Christian Andersen Center, which is a part of the Department for the Study of Culture. Um, and I actually, when I got my PhD, it was a Hans Christian Andersen PhD. I'd never been interested in Hans Christian Andersen before. I knew the fairy tales everyone knows, uh, the ugly duckling, We're the little the mermaid. Work, right? and, <laughs> yeah, but I didn't find it very interesting. It was actually just because I wanted to be a PhD, but then he got to me mm -hmm. as a cultural icon, as, yeah, you know who he is. So the fact that he's known everywhere, what is the magnetic effect about him? How come uh, Chinese people uh, believe uh, things that he could just as well be Chinese and Russians thinks that he could be Russian and Danes thinks that he's very Danish. How can that be? How, what is the, how, how do we uh, add these universal values to him, even though I don't think they exist? But people are always very tempted to say there's something here that speak, speaks to everyone. How can that be? And uh, why do we need these iconic figures to make sense of ourselves and our life? So that's what I do now. And have you found what it is that why me and Mishka like Andersen's fairy tales, even though we're not Danish? Mm. Uh, we don't, uh, fortunately, we don't do with final answers in cultural studies. <laughs> so it's just about uh, opening up a phenomenon and show how complex this phenomenon can be and not uh, draw any quick conclusions like uh, saying that he's a national icon, for example, or that he is particularly Danish. You would never say that in cultural studies. But actually, I've just uh, written a book, it's going to be published this summer, it comes a bit later in English, mm -hmm. and it's called Hans Christian Andersen as a cultural icon, so maybe you'll find some answers there. Well, <laughs> definitely worth trying. Yeah. I just wanted to back up a bit, uh, you said yeah. you, don't, you don't believe that there are universal values? Mm -hmm. you, do, you don't think that there is something universal in every culture? Hmm. No. Um, or I think that I, as a human, I am too small to say that I believe that. How can I know? And how can I be smart enough or clever enough to, to know that? But it's, it's interesting to, um, to see how there are patterns in every culture or in almost every culture that, um, that look alike um, across cultures. But I'm just more interested in asking what patterns is this? 
Um, what are their content and their functions? How do people ascribe meaning to them? How do they feel through these cultural patterns? So I would always, always be more interested in the open questions than the short answers. Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds nice. And for my brain, it's like, I need a conclusion. So I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would definitely like that. <laughs> yeah. But don't you, um, haven't you noticed that your student, because the things you deal with are a little bit abstract, maybe sometimes they don't have, as you said, they don't have clear definitions. They don't have clear outcomes. So isn't it difficult for you to explain to your students to understand. Or isn't it frustrating for them that they don't get a, a final answer as, yeah. <laughs> as we just reacted? I think that they, most of them, enjoy that they um, see themselves as valuable when we try to get closer to some answers. And, and they like to participate in the processes where we get there. Um, doing cultural studies it requires a lot of ethical sense and a lot of thoroughness when it comes to methods and uh, theoretical frameworks, stuff like that. So they learn to work very seriously with their academic profiles, I hope. Um, <laughs> so, so no, uh, I don't think that they're very frustrated. They like um, that they are just as capable of coming up with valuable answers and good answers and good analysis, just as capable as I am, if they just try their best mm -hmm. and if they are thorough and serious when they do cultural analysis. Mm -hmm. I would like to ask you one more question as yeah. well. For, I would like to ask teacher's opinion on that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because uh, you teach, I don't know, several courses probably. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. But you teach them over and over, like each year. Like, mm -hmm. isn't it repetitive for you? Isn't it something like, oh, this course again? I mean, I understand it changes mm. a bit with the people, but still, like, yeah. isn't it annoying for you to go over the same topics again and again? Um, cultural studies is a left-wing intellectual framework. Um, so it's very political and it, it um, is grounded in the overall perception that we must dig where we stand. So it keeps renewing itself all the time. And we must not have any canon of authors that are more important than others. Of course, we have some authors who seem uh, in, uh, unavoidable. Uh, Michel Foucault, Judith Butler, Sarah Ahmed. They're very important um, right now in cultural studies, but they can always be replaced where, because the world keeps turning and it keeps renewing itself. And, um, and as does cultural studies, as well as the methods we use, they keep renewing themselves because they are always dependent on what we examine. What is it that we want to know more about? So we have to develop our methods and adjust them. So in that way, even though I teach the same courses uh, most of the time, every year, they're never the same. Because then there, there are new topics. Or last year, for example, when I uh, taught uh, racialization, which is very important, the way we use race as a speaking category uh, in different cultures. It's a very important topic in cultural studies. So I talked about how they 
you know, the Twitter and Instagram thing with not my Ariel because people were angry that Ariel was, the Little Mermaid was supposed mm -hmm. to be played by a black girl. And that was a very obvious case we could use there and the teaching was about that and the students were taught about that. Now in these days we see how uh, George Floyd was uh, killed in the US and how just one very serious event can make the entire US race, racism wound um, be open again from one second to the other. And that is, of course, the case I'll uh, use or my fellow teachers will use mm -hmm. uh, in the autumn if nothing more important comes up. And it's difficult for me to imagine that mm -hmm. it could because the Black Lives Matter and the way uh, people um, speak into that and against that and with that is a very important focus in cultural studies right now. So maybe it was a, a long answer to your short question, but... <laughs> But it, it's, <laughs> it's a part of, of cultural studies that makes me take my uh, research field seriously all the time. I have to be aware of what's happening in the world all the time because it, it's what makes cultural studies. Cultural studies is made by the world around us. Hmm. So we can never be frozen within the walls of SDU or any other university. Hmm. That's a nice answer. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And what about your world? How does your world look like? You you said that your life could be described as, as merging academic life with the life of a single mother. Mm. So how does it work? Yeah, uh, easier now than uh, than 10 years ago. I have uh, two children. Uh, my boy is 13 and, um, and my daughter is 10. So I had him right after I finished my BA and her right after I finished my MA. So I was a mother before I started uh, at the faculty as, as a researcher. So they've always been there and they've always been a part of my, my SDU life. Um, and then I got divorced five years ago and it, it had been underway for a long time. So I had been uh, a single mother in practice always their entire life. So in that sense, it wasn't that big of a difference, but it gives you an external discipline. There's always something more important than what you do here. And uh, if I can't do well as a mother, I can't do well as a researcher at all. And if I can't identify the balance, and I have had times in my life where that was very difficult, um, then I'm not sufficient anywhere. So, yeah, it, sometimes it doesn't work and everything just falls over. They both get sick and I was supposed to be at a, an important meeting or an exam or anything. Um, and it puts you in battle mind. It, not to say that you're a soldier as a single mother, but in a battle mind, like, you have to make, uh, find a solution right now. It has to be the solution that works for everybody, where the children are safe, where I can take care of my job and where we can all go to bed in a nice and easy manner tonight. Um, and that can, of course, take a lot of energy sometimes and, be, and it, it makes it very important that you, uh, as any other soldier, I guess, also have time away from the battlefield where you can return to home mind and, uh, and just uh, relax and be you. <laughs> so 
it's all about balance, but I would never ever say that it's easy. Um, but who would ever expect life to be easy? If, if it wasn't being a single mother, then it was probably something else. And it's definitely what makes my head go round, what makes me think is that I have somebody to love unconditionally. Mm. Otherwise, it would just be me and that would be lonely. <laughs> I remember at the beginning you said you hope that your students are not going to nominate you for being too caring or for acting as a mother. Mm -hmm. So there probably is the balance as well, like to treat, to be the mother at home with your kids. But then you don't want to act as one no. in your classes. Um, like what? So how do you switch? <laughs> yeah, I'm not... I don't experience it like a switching as such. Of course, I have different faces, which is lucky because in cultural studies, we also believe in that non-absolute identities. So, of course, you are what you identify yourself with. Mm -hmm. um, so I have different faces and different versions of reality, different kinds of language I can use in different contexts. But there is also something that is just the same because um, of course my children they get a lot of hugs and a lot of kisses and a lot of <laughs> caring but I, I'm also it's also very important for me that they see me as a person that I can have uh, hopeless days where everything is just too stressful and I can make ends meet and I can be sad or angry or something that they see me as a person and not just as this all caring mother um, and that they see that I have opinions. And when you say it like that, that part of motherhood is of course also represented in the teaching room because I want them to see me as a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but they don't get the hugs and kisses. <laughs> <laughs> that's the line, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there's something I'd like to add, if I can. Mm -hmm. It's something about, um, I just wanted to say, because I was thinking about it this morning, about uh, SDU and how it means something to me as a place. Um, because I was, in, in cultural studies, and it's not to get too theoretical or anything, we work with this concept called the chronotope. It's a mix of two Greek words, chronos and tropos, time and space mm -hmm. and the idea of the chronotope is that these two merge together so we have these spaces where time is represented you know it with historical places national mon monuments like that and I was thinking about how SDU works as a chronotope for me because I can see all these times represented at the university here all these layers every time I go here I see represented I remember the time For example, when I was going to defend my BA and my son was just 14 days uh, old and it was horrible. And my, own, my entire family had uh, come here to take care of him and we had driven in two cars and I was in one car with him and all his bottles were in the other car. So when <laughs> we arrived and I was five minutes before I was going to defend, he didn't have any food and my dad had to walk up and down the aisles, you know, um, in the main building with him and I could hear him crying while I was defending my BA. And uh, these experiences merged together with 
the teaching situations, all the parties, everything. And then I got to thinking about, with this chronotope idea, that you know all the big trees up here at the main entrance. The first time, I, when you stand in front of the main in, entrant, entrance of SDU, you look at these huge trees. And the first time I was at SDU was for my interview, because a part of getting um, into journalism studies is an interview. And I was so, so, so nervous because I knew that I hadn't studied enough and I was afraid to meet the faculty member who was going to interview me. And I called my mother and she said, what do you see where you stand right now? And I said, I see some huge, huge trees and they have all these black birds in them. And she said, no matter what you go in there and do, no matter what you say, you'll go out in half an hour and the trees will still be there. They'll still stand there. The birds will still be there. The world keeps turning. And when I, um, when I have been subject to any kind of life decision which involves SDU since that day, I've always looked at the trees. My interview for the PhD, for the assistant professorship, for the associate professorship, uh, every important thing, I've always stood there and looked at the trees. So that's also about, even though my mother is not alive anymore, every time I look at the trees, I think about her and I think about SDU and how, how my entire life has been, adult life has been uh, revolving around these buildings and the trees. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, probably a nice help if you have a nervous situation to realize such a thing that there is these things are not going to change no matter what. No, you're always smaller than you think. Yeah, mm. we usually think, the, the last question we usually asked is if you have any life head. But I think we've just mm. got answered. We've just received it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Even though we haven't asked, <laughs> which is great. Um, Anna Clara, thank you very much for joining us on our podcast. It was very interesting to listen to your thoughts. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. That's all for today. A new episode is coming next Wednesday. Tune in. In the meantime, check out our Facebook and Instagram and listen to Sophie's episode, who was Anna Clara's student. Have a great week.